Welcome back to the Late Invoices Show. My name is Cameron. This is my co-host, Matt. Hello. And today we are talking about when do you become qualified as a creative? Never. Never? No. Well, I think you become qualified and then you go to unqualified again and then you go to qualified again. You went to the University <laughs> of Creativity and got a bachelor's degree in Yeah, and I still don't feel qualified. <laughs> no, no, you, you actually studied it though, didn't you? What yeah, did you study? fly in the way, by the way. So, sorry, fly yeah. In the way. Sorry, it was flying in my face, go on. You, what did you study again? Uh, I studied uh, post-production for broadcasting. Broadcast for TV and film or something like that. Post-production... Broadcast post-production for TV and film. It clearly left it a was, mark on you. Yeah, yeah, really. it did. <laughs> God damn, I hope my old lecturer doesn't hear that. So I know oh, a man. lot of... I'd say, actually, out of everyone I know in the creative industry, I was going to say I, most people didn't study it, but I actually do have a few friends that did study something creative at uni, whether it was design or mm. like along those lines, and they got into photography or videography or whatever it is that way. Yeah. Um. I'd say it's probably a 50-50 split. And I mean, you're an example. You studied something creative. I studied sport and exercise science, so nothing to do with, you know. But like, I don't think... Okay, I'm just going to give my opinion on it straight away. Like, I don't think you ever qualify as a creative, so to speak. I think there are different levels of being a creative because you can argue that you're a professional the minute you get paid to do this for like as a job, Right. So say you could be a photographer who is just starting out and has just earned like a hundred pound for doing like a friend's wedding photos or their engagement photos or whatever it is. You're obviously a much different level of creative to someone that's just shot the latest like Burberry campaign. Mm -hmm. But then saying that someone who is at that level of creative that has just shot the latest Burberry campaign could also then just take some photos for their mate, uh, for some engagement photos for free. Yeah. So I'm just going to shot myself <laughs> in the foot with my point. Um, I just think, but that first person couldn't shoot a Dior campaign or a Burberry campaign. They're not at that well, level yet. So I think there's just levels to being a creative and you don't necessarily like qualify like, you know, Yaz is doing her law at the moment. She qualifies on December 7th and then she'll be a full-time lawyer. And well, she's had to go through that process and uh, however many years and exams and all that kind of stuff. Same if you're a doctor or you're a dentist and then all of a sudden you become a dentist. All of a sudden you become a doctor. Yeah. It doesn't work like that in this industry. It's no. like there are levels to you and, you know, someone also could get hired for a job that's probably creatively a little bit out of their boundary but they could still probably like execute it and do yeah. a half decent job and say that they've shot for that brand or work with that brand yeah it's a really weird minefield i don't really know how to like break it down but we're gonna try <laughs> i agree with you where there's almost like oh you're this good or you're this good or you're this good like and it just it keeps what's going the, what's but, the like marker, where you are what's the marker that says how good you are because i don't know to me yourself well it's like I look at other people's work that I like. Re I like really inspired by them. Yeah, but I feel like a marker for everyone in the industry is like they just did this with this person and this for this brand, and like they were trusted to direct the new Nike commercial. So instantly you have like this evidence. You earn the respect of others. Your your portfolio automatically becomes more respectful. 
I'm also wondering, maybe we're on one side of it in terms of like, oh, like you qualified like at certain levels and maybe you have things, but maybe, maybe in this area you're qualified, but in the other area you're not qualified. Oh, 100%. And, and, and so when you've got like a client, like, like a sports client and they go, oh, you shot with like Puma. It's like, oh, like you're definitely qualified. Blah, blah. But then if someone else wanted to came to you, they'd be like, oh, you've never shot this before. Exactly. Or like, or like yeah, yeah. So maybe the qualification comes from just as we spoke about how other people view you. If someone came to me and said, I don't know, can you shoot this like food cover for this magazine? I wouldn't be foolish enough is not the right word, inexperienced enough to know that I can't get away with doing that on my own. Yeah, I need a team of people around me. I've had enough time in the industry to know that it's a collaboration of those people and I've got this vision in my head and I know I can execute it and make it look good, but you need to line up the right people for that to happen. Mm. Well, Stepping away from that, though, I want to talk about being qualified personally and internally for yourself, like mindset-wise. deep. Yeah. It's deep for a Friday afternoon. Like, I, like yeah. I, I almost think that you can be qualified for any of the shoots as long as you, like, you almost believe that you're qualified for it. If there's budget there and there's a shoot that comes in and I'm like, oh, this is a big shoot, like, I feel a little out of my depth, mm. that's when I'm like, cool, getting a good producer I know, getting a good team around me, getting a really good lighting assistant, like all of that kind of stuff, then I'm more confident to execute that shoot because it's not so much over my head anymore. Like I was saying to you before, like a big shoot takes a lot of things to come together to execute it. And I know that's the same in my industry and yours. Yeah, but what about someone that's like a little bit earlier on where they don't, maybe they don't have access or they don't have the experience or the knowledge to bring in those people, but they still need to believe that they're qualified. Just because they don't have the experience doing it doesn't mean they can't do it. It's just a case of asking for the help. And I did the same when I was, you know, starting in the industry 22, 23. I had some people that are older than me, like Joel and Josh XL and a few others that I would be like, hey, man, this has come in. How much do I charge? What do I do? Like, have you got any good assistance? Hey, hmm. and you never had that. I never had that. That's but, sad. But I, yeah, but I, well, I, I think, see, I look around, I was actually thinking about this. I look around at my life now and I'm like, I've, like, I've got you guys. Like, yeah, I, I, like, now we've, I would yeah, 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 we've got this, Even my girlfriend is in the same industry, which is, is wild. Yeah. And so I feel like almost I'm glad I didn't have that because I. You had to learn the hard way. No, no, I didn't have to learn the hard way. But I think at least when I see on Facebook pages and obviously I'm in some Facebook groups and stuff and. You see people that will ask for advice or like what to charge. And I almost think that you can be over. asking someone else what to charge is bad. Because if I ask someone else to be like, oh, like charge this amount. And it's like, yeah, but that's based on you, who is one person. No, I and agree also, with that. What I found is that at least when I was more a few years ago was that I was charging way more than other people. And I was still getting paid and no one ever pushed back on me or whatever. And it was just because I didn't know what to charge. Yeah. The worry of not being qualified is what elevates you to do go like the extra distance. Yeah, and then you realize that no one does it. And I think a good example would be um, like, say, like when we were editing, I remember when we were doing some GQ stuff and Mateo was with us. Yeah. And our hard drive corrupted and we needed like a, this massive folder of sound effects. Me being like super organized and like professional editor and that. Like, as soon as it corrupted, within like 30 seconds, I was like, oh, just pulled in another drive and I was like, plug that in and there's... And Mateo was like, 
Cameron, do you know how many times I've sat with people and like they couldn't? We spent like thirty minutes trying to find like a file. Yeah, and and do like what? Well, so you on, had all the spare files there? Well, I just had, like I just knew which drive had the exact same shit on. Like it wasn't a backup; it was just part of my system. Was okay. I have these folders as templates. Yeah, and once they corrupted with all my sound effects and all my things, I just went oh. And you, just brought another one back were. in, yeah, yeah, and just pulled it back in, and we just carried on with the project. And yeah. you don't—I didn't realize how important that was until Matteo was like, "Do you know how many people I've sat with?" Like he says, "I've never had someone do that before." Yeah, and you almost need people above you to tell you when that thing's special and what you're good at. Yeah, I don't know. Similar to like where again you've been on shoots and like your shoot. Say say like if you've always run your own shoots and you do stuff in a certain way, and then you go on someone else's shoot and you go, "Holy shit! Like this is so bad." But really, that's just normal. But it just you're just better than the other people at doing that, which is why you never had feedback to know how good you were. Yeah. Okay, I've got you know a, what I mean? I've got a story. Oh god, okay. Now I just <laughs> want to get your opinion on it. So it's a, a listener who told me a few days ago about a situation that's happened at work. Okay. Um we should call this a little we should make this a little segment. Oh my god, we should have people like phone in. Yeah, like anonymous stories. Anonymous <laughs> yeah. stories about what happened. So basically he's in a situation where he shoots a lot of stuff for this brand. I need to keep this super, super vague. Yeah, yeah. He shoots a lot of stuff for this brand. He's friends with the guy from the brand and has stuff for ages and has always nailed it. And he sent me some of the photos and I'm like, Yeah, to be fair, you've nailed it. These are really nice. He was like, we did a shoot recently and Carol. the usual photographer got put to the side to do BTS and video yeah, yeah. and then they brought in another photographer. And apparently like they were on set and the new photographer was just like, had no clue what they were doing, like was just no clue what they were doing with the lights. Like it was very, the anonymous person that's calling in has said like it was just really awkward. They didn't have a clue what they were doing. And they wanted this filmy look and it looked nothing like that. And the edits came out awfully. And he just, it, he said, the person that's called in, Mr. Anonymous, has said it's made them really lose confidence, like massively. Because obviously you've been put to the side and someone else that has come in has done a way worse job. And it makes you feel like, oh, like what was wrong with me then kind of thing. And he, and I basically gave him a bit of a pep talk and I was just like, look, like it sounds to me like, and if I owned a brand, I think I'd be the same. I wouldn't want to keep shooting with the same person again and again and again. I would want to get a different creative like shift and different energy and have someone else come in and shoot the campaign. I wouldn't want the same people to shoot my campaigns all the time. So maybe he's just done that and it's backfired. Also, you've got to respect the fact that sometimes people are just going to like your work and they're not. And there's always going to be people that don't like your work. And it's just like part of and part of like the parcel, you'll always have the gift to create and you're so lucky to have that. So just keep creating. What's your opinion on that? Well, yeah, it sounds like you've given advice for him I'd, for, for like making, you know, like kind of what the client might be thinking. And there's a thing of like where clients kind of need to exercise their like flexibility of working with other people, but then they can get like a comparison on like, holy shit, like we actually already had it originally. And then moving on from that is... If you don't want to be a BTS photographer, just look at your client and be like, I'm sorry, but I actually don't do this work. If you want a BTS photographer, you can go pay a student to do it. You can always just say, listen, like, I love working with you. Like, I, I really like the relationship we have. But yeah, you don't need to do BTS photography. Just say to your client, like, I really appreciate that you're obviously trying to still keep me involved. However, it's just not 
something I do. And so if you want me to be on these shoots, I'll happily be the main photographer. But other than that, like I can provide you some connections to, you know, because I was doing BTS a lot of I was doing a lot of BTS before, um, mm. with some of the music stuff, but I just decided that at my the point in my career, like I, I just wanted to focus on like the press stuff and more of like the campaign stuff and shoot more campaigns. BTS every now and then, depending on what it is, but I just said like no, I'm going to start saying no to this and and the agency that I work with a lot, who I got on with really well, were like, cool, like, we'll, you know, we know what to ask you in for and what to not ask you in for now. Um, so, but it depends what it is. If it's a shoot with an artist that I really like, then, you know, I will want to do BTS for the day and it's mm. quiet, then why not, you know? Um, I got some of my favorite photos, the James Blunt music video. I was shooting some BTS all day on the music video, but then I was also shooting some, like, press shots um but the the motorbike photos i took are like some of my favorite i've taken yeah and that was, and that was just BTS. B- and that i was just shooting yeah. bts yeah well th- th- i think there's a difference though like if you're a bts photographer on a, like a james Blunt, whatever it was yeah then yeah yeah then it's like well it's different to being a bts just on like a regular shoot like didn't they have like a, a fucking car rig on the beach and oh we had no we, we had a it was like a polaris you know like the buggies like so it was the same polaris buggy that uh filmed fast and furious yeah you see what i mean like mate, so I, I, cool. I would shoot bts yeah. photography on that i don't even shoot yeah. photos no i never seen so, anything like it i was just like i want to hire yeah. one day for a shoot yeah huge polaris with a massive rig on the back just yeah. like built into it and the guys were saying, yeah, they, they're the guys that shot the Fast and Furious stuff that when it was in uh, the UK with it. Yeah, um, you see. like, So I think there is there is pros and cons to doing that. But I, I think also you don't want to... Like, you, you want to make sure that your client holds you in the highest regard in terms of, like, where you sit. And so if you say to him, like, look, I don't, I don't do BTS. Like, if you want me on your shoots, then I need to be the main photographer. Then they almost will be like, oh... Like you've kind of like helped them, you've guided them to be like, oh, like okay, I understand, like yeah, cool. And then also, I think that's why it's so important to have like a client journey or like a system or a process or try and work with clients on a long term basis. Where instead of you just getting them in for like one shoot, you would say like that you need like a minimum level of engagement. So if you have like a minimum level of engagement of example, 5K or 10K, it doesn't mean that one shoot needs to be 5K or 10K, but it means they need to spend 5K or 10K with you throughout the year. Like they need to book you so that they've spending that amount of money with you so that you can have them as a client. Mm -hmm. And doing stuff like that stops them from the next shoot just putting you as BTS photographer. It's a lot of psychology. Yeah, yeah. It's really weird. But like as an example, they say that like having a good website is almost a gatekeeper for keeping shitty clients out because they see you work on your website and they go, I definitely can't afford them, so I'm not even going to try. And so in a similar way, when you're talking to people on email, you want to say things and like even though you can send your contracts and your invoice in the same email, don't do that. Like there's there's reasons as to why you would send your contract, then send your invoice in a separate email, then they send you like and uh, like one of the things we spoke about recently, or actually I still need to speak about is never like use the word just in an email. I don't care what situation. If you go, oh, like, uh, it's just this, this, and this, just read the sentence again, but without the word just in it, and it sounds more sure, it sounds like a lot more kind of like you're sure of what you're saying. And it's it. there's things that prevent the client from saying things back to you. And then the way they view you, they might not waste your time by asking you certain things because they think, like, they should really this figure that stuff out on their own. any shit. Yeah, it's, and going back to that guy with the BTS... 
it's like having like a I, I don't want to say this because people get so offended in terms of like if you call like someone a pet but like clients are almost or like clients or whoever you work with or whatever they're almost like similar to like a pet like they, they know what they're doing and like they're their own person but you can help kind of like guide like a dog to be like oh like don't shit in the house kind of thing. <laughs> right, you know right. what I mean? I mean, like, <laughs> it's an interesting analogy. Like you, you're almost like guiding or training the people you work with and your clients and all that stuff to kind of treat you in a certain way. I think also, depending on how many clients your friend has, will dictate how kind of like, oh, like, if you have like loads of other clients that like you love working with you as well, then yeah, you don't take it as personally. And, you know, like if, if they're your only client, then you're like, oh, yeah, true. Does he have an emergency fund? Does he have savings? I don't know. I don't Does he have know. A, well, these really? are these are all things yeah, that help no. you feel more By confident. By the way, can I just say, having an emergency fund, and this is a side topic, has changed my life. Yes. yes. Hands down <laughs> yeah, changed my life. Because <laughs> I didn't have one when we first started this podcast. Did now, you not? No, oh, well, we no. spoke about it like, you know, and now yeah. I do. And hey. now... If people are late paying their invoices yeah. and the money's not coming on time and the cash flow's inconsistent, then I can borrow 50 quid from my emergency fund and then put it back when I get paid. And it's just this big, juicy buffer that allows me to like still not touch my savings, still not touch my tax part, still like, it's great. I'm wondering if you're using it the right way now. Well, it's so, not, yeah, right. Not, so, so, okay, yeah. So, your emergency fund is something that you're not supposed to touch at all. Like, in case yeah, of emergencies. Yeah, no, well, but you're quiet. If client, I haven't been client, paid, then... client, no, an emergency is when you've got no money left in your savings and then you need to go well, into I'm your emergency I'm not going to go fund. into my savings to pay myself. Okay, well, I mean. They're in a savings pot and they can't be touched. They're gaining interest. Like, that sounds like the emergency fund. Maybe you've got it uh, the other way around. No, either way, I've okay, got a system right. that works for me. Okay. It's almost that, like, a, well, it's it's really like a money buffer. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, I don't, if, if something goes wrong or a client's months late paying me or whatever, like, and I need an extra hundred quid to go towards my rent because I haven't been paid, yeah. I can take it out of that and then I replenish it when I get paid. How big is the emergency fund in terms of months? Like, it, does it cover you for like three months? Or? Yeah, it would probably cover me for five months. Okay, decent. Are you aiming to get it to. I would like to, in an ideal world, I'd like to double it. Yeah. But also at the same time. Double it. Double it, but also at the same time, I'm trying to save money for like a house deposit or like whatever. So that's kind of the priority at the moment, and like okay. my investment fund, like and all that kind of stuff. I suppose I suppose five months is like they always say. Three, oh yeah, three to six months is a good one. I personally have like twelve months. You have enough to survive off for a year. Yeah, but I would also argue, that's even, also even, your even, even though five to six months is like amazing, by the way, yeah. I would also argue that it would be more important to get back to 12 months than it would be to save for a house deposit because your emergency fund is technically what saves you from everything else. I agree, but also like what? I'm not going to go 12 months without work. Mate, COVID, COVID got us originally. I know COVID got us originally, but then like... Yeah, cool. Yeah. Whatever. No, no, but I, no, but I mean, like six months is plenty anyway. Yeah, so I mean, you're yeah, perfectly okay. Um, but um, but yeah, yeah, there it's is changed one, my life. So I recommend yeah. it. By the way, oh my god! Like, well, we had a conversation about. Uh, I think it was on one of the previous episodes about things that we everyone should implement. Yeah, and one of them was the emergency, emergency fund. fund because it now. By the way, if a client is late invoiced, you have no hesitation to be like, "You're late." Yeah. Like, by the way, you're charging ten percent late fee. To be fair, no one's really late. Yeah, yeah, but do you have it on your invoice that 
does a 10% weight no, thing. I need to find it. That's what you said like three months ago, yeah. mate. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, we need to get on. Because what stuff. I do now is I just uh, chase them and they pay it straight away if they are late. I get, there's yeah, an automatic yeah, yeah. reminder that goes well, out if they're late. Well, yeah, but do you also say in the emails, like, oh, there's a three-day, like, you chase them and you go, oh, there's a three-day uh, no. non-notice period. What is it? No. There's, like, a three-day nice, no. like, okay. Grace period. Grace period. There you go. Nice. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a three-day nice. <laughs> Jamie's taking pictures of us for the podcast. <laughs> um, this is the point I was making, though, before that. It's um, So I'd say if you'd have told, because 23-year-old, 24-year-old me was like, I don't need an emergency fund. My money situation was all over the shop. But like now having one, so if you are 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, no matter what age you are to be fair, but 22-year-old me didn't want to know. But if you are listening and you're that age, please, please, please put an emergency fund together before you do anything else. So before you start getting a savings pot or before you start wanting to invest. Or buying gear. Or like have an emergency fund first. And when I say gear, I mean camera gear, not drugs. Yeah. Just Just in case you weren't aware. Um, So important. So important. And that's something that's, yeah, changed. It's just helped me massively. Yeah. Well, I think especially in our industry where you have... Inconsistent income. Where there's inconsistent income, but then you're also like, you have to kind of manage yourself and, you know, all those things. Like having an emergency fund is almost like this solid backup that it's like you, a foundation that, that you need it's like you built a wall it's like you know like everyone else when they're employed they technically have like a nice wall around them because they have like consistency and they're in contracts and all these things yeah whereas when you're a freelancer you're in like a paper tent in the rainy outside in the rain yeah. and it like dissolves around you and you like need to build a wall as fast as possible so that you know like great analogy again mate. you're <laughs> on it today with the analogies it's class yeah but the yeah, the, like just last thing, yeah, emergency fund is just yeah. it, it gives you confidence as well because it's like leverage. It's like it's like putting Do yourself you know in a more leveraged position for? to push back against clients when they're not paying you enough, push back against clients when they haven't paid you on time, and like just push back against clients on where someone comes to you and they want you to do a shoot and you go. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to turn you away because I don't actually need the money. Well, what it's done as well, it's kind of, it's just made me less stressed about the fact that, oh, what if it's dead in January and February and March again? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if no work comes in, like, cause I've got a pot of money there as a buffer. Yeah. It's like, oh, like I'm actually not that stressed about it anymore because I've got money there just in case shit hits the fan and no work yeah. comes in. I have another question for you. Do you have your emergency fund? Do you have Monzo? Yeah. Do you have Monzo? I'm Monzo business and Monzo Do you have Monzo savings, like where yeah. you can get? Yeah, 4.5, 4.2%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you got your emergency fund in there? You know what? I haven't stupidly because whoa, whoa, my savings no. my savings fund's in there. My savings Okay, fund. well, if I was you... can't you, have two pots. No, no. So what, what I would do, I've chunked my savings and my emergency pot together so that earns interest. Oh, yeah, and, you make such good points. And then, obviously... But obviously you've told me to do this before, to be fair. Yeah, then, but in my head, I know how much my emergency fund is, yeah. so I know what part You might as well But you might as well make it... Yeah. Your, yeah. And, and also, what I found is that I've never gone into my emergency fund, so I've technically had my emergency fund for like two to three years. Yeah. And it's like, that could have just been sat earning interest. But instead, I just had it on a savings pot for two years. Okay, yeah, two years, no, so, I'm going to do that today. Yeah. Great shout. Yeah. Great shout. But yeah, it's, it's just allowed me to not stress as much about the winter. January, Feb, because I know how bleak it gets. But then it's like, cool, well, in those periods, I can execute a personal project or, do you know what I mean, do something or go away and go on holiday. If we I- should do an episode just about, like, what to do in January, yeah. February. <laughs> when winter arrives, like, no, yeah. we'll def- we definitely will. And I yeah. mean... It's good to mention it now, though, how, you know, like... Yeah, if prepare- you're listening, it's going to yeah. dry up 
folks. Yeah, well, it January, usually does. February. There's different industries that will have some people stay things. busy, but on yeah, the whole, for the most part. But I mean, what? Yeah, one thing to talk about as well is that everybody has like lower, slower work in January and February in general. Sometimes it goes to March. Like Do you it, think it gets like that towards Christmas as well, or is it chaos until? Oh Christmas? my god, like. I'd say halfway through December is almost like when it starts quieting down. But last time I was on shoot on 23rd of December and then I I'll, went I'll be and then I finished the shoot and then I went home to my parents for Christmas Eve and yeah. Christmas and then through New Year. But like I know photographers that shoot Nike and Gymshark and Puma and all these and the massive and they'll be like, I've had no work this month and it's in January. And I'm like, how have you had no work? Yeah. Like you shoot like yeah. the massive like proper campaigns like you have your work like on the tube billboards, for example. Yeah. And he's like, no, I just haven't had anything. It's like, God damn. Well, we're going to do, Even a whole, we're, we're gonna do a whole episode on that. Yeah, yeah. Because but, but it's good to mention now. It gets now, tough though. in the winter. It does. Yeah, it it yeah. gets really tough and bleak. And yeah. it was bleak this year. Mm. And that's why we've got the podcast, though. That will help us get through. And all you listeners can get through it with us as well. Yeah, yeah. But it's good to mention now though. So we're helping you by giving you in advance. Free warning. Like, yeah, January and February coming up. Usually you don't think about it until it gets here. Yeah. We're in October right now. We, think about we'll it. We'll do like an episode on like a survival kit to get us through a winter. Survival yeah. kit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, sweet. I love this episode. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Cool. Well, I hope you guys found something useful out of the episode. It was a bit of a, we were blabbering on a bit and went off a few different tangents. But I, think I it thought was, it was really good. There's some good yeah. stuff in there. Um, but thank you for listening if you made it this far. We appreciate you a lot. If you haven't already, subscribe to our newsletter. It's in the bio on Instagram. Um, and yeah, drop us a message if you, there's anything you want us to talk about. If you guys have any horror client stories and you want to phone in, message in, let us know and we'll share them anonymously. So we won't say who the brand is. We won't say who you are. We'll keep it super vague. Um, but if you want to share them, we'll share them and do like a little um, anonymous, yeah, yeah. anonymous. A shout little out. bit. What, what was that? We like? need no. to we need to think of like a like a segment for it. Do you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like a name for it. We'll think of a name. But if you guys have got any um, right. yeah horror stories from uh, the creative industry from this on set or anything that's happened to you, you want to keep it anonymous. We'll share them on the pod. Oh my god, I'd love to talk yeah. about stuff okay, like that. Sweet. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks for listening. I'm Matt. I'm Cameron. <laughs> Appreciate you listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye guys. Much love.